Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Broadcasting from the Johnson Brunetti Studios, this is Brian and Company on WTIC News Talk 1080. December 5th. Man, we are 20 days to Oh no, Christmas. I went and did a little stocking stuff for shopping spree yesterday. Shh, don't tell anybody. Um yeah, it's just and I got I got 100 Christmas holiday cards to sign and mail today. So, that's that. It's amazing like my the my wife still enjoys putting the card together. Like I never knew that was a thing. I guess that's your well, your first welcome to suburban family clicheville. <laughs> I don't know that yeah. you get excited about picking out the pictures for the card. So here's the card. Oh, you got it. I I actually think I'll show it to you closer. 
because you know we do like one big picture, which we it's harder and harder to find a big picture. That's us at the actually the U.S. G- Germany soccer game. Nice. And then you do a couple different things, working the dog in the yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. And I actually thought it was really funny because it just has a picture of the five of us, and we're all wearing we we just scrounged up the best red, white, and blue crap we could find for the game, and it just says best we could do. Merry Christmas. <laughs> I just think it's funny. <laughs> That's great. That is very funny. So I give my wife some credit there. Uh, we have we have some news to talk about. The Stone Academy now again like it's I don't think it's a like they're getting the money. I think they're just saying the judge is just saying, you know, this is the first step in the process. Basically, the the judge granted a five million dollar prejudgment in the class action suit against Stone Academy. You know the school that was supposed to get people into the nursing sector and none of that happened and the owners kept the money. It was a for-profit institution. So the problem with with this, I want to get William Tong on if we can. I'm going to talk to Joey, let him sleep a little more, see if we can get him on this morning because this is not the William Tong lawsuit. And I also just got to make sure people know, and it's the same thing with the Sandy Hook stuff and Alex Jones. You know, and, and I have no problem with the law firms, but you know, you get five million dollars and there's like a thousand students. If they got all the money, that's five thousand per student. But typically, the law firms take thirty to forty percent of this stuff. They don't work for free. They, they, right. you know, so it's not. It sounds like a pretty big number, but it's not. And so, I still think, you know, I, I don't know if it's who should be making the students whole, and I don't know how much responsibility the students have in controlling their future they should also have some responsibility for maybe seeing the tea reading the tea leaves or being a little more proactive in this process but i'm not blaming them at all but the it, the students would need to get more than five million to be made whole in this situation if you factor in legal fees and all that stuff so but it is a, a positive first step for the students in terms of getting something back for you know the way they were dealt with and i think that at schools and i've been over this a bunch of times schools that take your money or take federal loans or all that stuff, they they do have some responsibility in helping their students get through school. And, you know, that's one of the main reasons I went to like a small liberal arts college, because if I went to a big state school, I think I would have slipped through the cracks and it probably would mm. have been on a five or six year plan or maybe not finished. Whereas like the smaller school, there's a lot more ways they can catch you if you're struggling. Right. And that's part of like what you pay for. So uh, we'll see if we can get Attorney General Tongan to see how this might impact his case and all, all the other details, and and so that's that's a pretty big piece of news. I was I was glad that Morgan had that story on with Melissa Melanson from Emory Streets and Soda. She's coming on the show this morning at seven twenty. They just opened in downtown Hartford, and I hope the business does great. I mean, it's a family affair. I met her and her husband, and she talked about it in the piece about her daughter and all the smiles on on faces. And I I think the name of the the name of the place is sort of a, a mashup of her daughter's name and something else. And so we'll we'll talk to Melissa at seven twenty. Before that, though, at six fifty, I want to my you know you know if you listen to the show that Michael Corn is one of my favorite guests. I just think he's just a, such a cool guy, he's such a nice guy. He's always accessible and he knows his crap. He's and so he do- smart. Yeah, and he does it with a Boston accent, which makes it even better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, like I think when you hear like naked Boston accents, you're like, what are you, dummy? You know, I grew up that I grew <laughs> yeah. up in Boston, but he, and he's so bright and he's and he's so level headed. I mean, he might be a, a touch left leaning, but that doesn't necessarily come through in his legal analysis. And I 
I just really, and we're going to talk about Sandra Day O'Connor, and we have other guests. We're going to talk to John Moritz from CT Insider about rail lines in Connecticut and Chris Keating about electric vehicles. But, you know, I didn't get to go on my school trip to D.C. I don't know why. But so my dad, my dad was used to go to these like legal seminars across the country that he could sort of write off, and he rotated around so he'd take each kid to a different one. And the ones I remember the most, I got to go to California when I was like thirteen. I went to Stanford, and I, you know, he'd go to the conferences, and I would just futz around the campus and and then go to the game, yeah. game room and play video games. <laughs> I think I played Paperboy, which was my favorite oh, video nice. game, for like a day and a half, and then we went to an Oakland A's game. But, you know, and then I went to Florida for one and I went to D.C. for another with my dad. And I had a great time with my father. And a couple things happened on the trip. One is we got to sit in on a live hearing at the Supreme Court. And so I saw Sandra Day O'Connor like on wow. know, and, 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 and I it was an illegal search and seizure case. And I'll never forget it. And and so she passed away. You know, there's just a lot of. You know, people. You know, there was, of course, Rosalind Carter, and there was Henry Kissinger, and Sandra Day O'Connor passed away, the first female in the Supreme Court. And we'll talk a little bit about her legacy with Michael Coyne, among some other mm. stuff, if, if we want to. So, uh, we'll get to more Christopher now in the Brown Pandiers to Scott Traffic Center. Is that when the Oakland A's and the Bash Brothers, McGuire and Canseco? Or? So I was. It was like nineteen. I was like. It was like 1984 or five, so I think it predated it. Yeah, but it was at that awful stadium. Oh yeah, I got a great off-the-record story about that night that I can't tell on the air because <laughs> it would get me in trouble. <laughs> but um, that's neither here nor there, and it's true. It's all Matt. It's all true. Uh, Mark, good morning. So, I've been. Uh, by the way, I, you know, I follow a lot of the the business side of the world, and and. Ratings agencies are what they are. They tend to have an impact, but it's just kind of weird how one can view a country or a company different than another. But uh, Moody's downgraded its outlook on China uh, from neg- uh, to negative from stable and basically talking about Chinese debt. And, you know, there's some real domestic issues. They had a, a real estate, big real estate entities had a, a ton of trouble in China. And I just find it fascinating, like... The, I'm based on demographics because their population is older, but they still have so many people. I don't know if they're still on track to, you know, be the number one economy on the planet. But this whole thing about China taking over that spot, uh, that that thesis has definitely you know shifted a little bit. And I don't know, I don't know what the future holds. I mean, I, I think it shows that you know growing in in a controlled environment like that is is can be tricky i guess i mean we all have our problems debt is a massive issue in, in the united states we're not necessarily in better shape i just think people had expected china to just skyrocket you know just shoot right past us and never look back and that is not that is not what's happening uh in terms of uh, the growth story in china and we used to talk about you know when i first got to cnbc in 2007 I just used to listen to Bloomberg Radio, and I used to watch TV all the time on the business channels to learn because I really didn't I didn't study economics. I didn't work at the Wall Street Journal, and there's a couple of sort of um, almost like cliche ish statements that people said a lot, and and one of them was that if if Chinese growth GDP went like below ten percent, they were worried about civil unrest, and there was a Large degree of uh, lack of confidence in the numbers that they put out for their their growth numbers, and now they tell a much more accurate picture, 
and growth is like consistently uh, like under 5%. I think the projection moving forward is 35 to 45 or so, something like that. And so it's kind of fascinating to me looking back 15 years when that would have been a, considered a, an absolute disaster that could lead to civil war in China. It's just funny how those things you know, the same thing they said, you know, with with the ozone, we would all, you know, vaporize by the 2020 or whatever. But I'm not I'm not making a climate argument. I'm just making a statement that sometimes things don't necessarily come come to pass. And, you know, now their growth is like, you know, half of what it was when we used to monitor it like that. And and I'm not saying things are fine, but things are definitely not headed toward civil war in China. Uh, the economic out, outlook for a lot of I just don't know where we're headed. You know, low unemployment, low growth, and tons of debt. Um, listen, we we will. Th- there's this thing that we're going to talk about with John Maris from CT Insider. He wrote about how, you know, they're going to make another effort to speed up trains in the Northeast Corridor, and I just feel like there's just no unless there's some massive endeavor. Because there's all this eminent domain, and you, the reason why it zigzags is, first of all, you have the the topography or, or whatever, and then you have like land ownership, and it, I just don't see a path forward the way the Northeast is developed because it's been so developed for centuries. How they're going to be able to find a way to speed up rail unless they put something underground or, you know, take over a bunch of property that they don't currently own? Like I just don't understand how it's even possible i think you just got to get used to making 25 million stops on the way to new york i mean i just don't see how because you're not going to take over all these pieces of land from eminent domain and then spend billions of dollars redoing track i mean like i just think it is what it is and i wish there was a way to fix it because i think you know i was having this conversation with my daughter when we were driving back from maine because she's a big She's big into the environment, right? That's one of my daughter's big things, big issues. And with a lot of young people, it's like one of the big issues for young people. And I happen to be around a lot because my wife works at a high school and I have three teenagers. And and we were just talking about, you know, mass transportation and public transportation. And the whole concept was to get people to, you know, if, if everyone takes the train, then there are fewer cars on the road. And it helps everybody, right? And the, the amazing thing to me is that commuting-wise – and I don't know what the solution is. They've been trying to solve it forever. The percentage of cars that have one person in them, I mean, you think about it, like, and I'm all for cars, and I love cars, but, like, it's kind of amazing how wasteful it is to drive, say, 30 miles, have millions of people drive 30 miles or less by themselves, take up a parking space. It's just, it's it's crazy that we haven't figured out how to travel together more because it is a waste to drive by yourself and I do it all the time. It's, I mean, of course, but like we work here with like five people, so it doesn't really matter. But it always struck me as like, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Like when you go into this, when you drive into New York or Boston, how many people you see during the morning commute who are driving by themselves? Like, I, I don't know what the percentage is. More traffic too. Well, well, but the point is, like, if, <laughs> more if you, cars, more traffic. If you if you had an average of two and a half people per car, traffic would be go down by half. Now I don't have a solution, and I don't want to sit next to somebody I don't know. And I don't want to talk to John down the road every five seconds. But anyway, there's got to be a way to fi- figure it out. John Rzeznik is 58 years old. Goo Goo Dolls. The world's beneath you. At the tones, here on Brian and Company, it's like 6 
Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. George Santos seems to have a new gig, Brian and Matt. The ousted congressman has a Cameo account where the public can pay for a personalized video message, screenshots of his account with the bio former congressional icon, started to spread online Monday morning. By afternoon, users, including several lawmakers, were posting clips of Santos offering advice, blowing kisses, and making cracks about Botox. The price for a personalized video from Santos started at $75 and by Monday evening was going as high as $200. He's also selling text messages for $10. Oh, boy. That's rock bottom right there, folks. Oh, Oh, boy. And listen, if you got two hundred bucks, by the way, to spend on George Santos saying hi to you, give that two hundred dollars to the Salvation Army today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly. That's right. embarrassing if you're doing that. Don't do that. <laughs> well done, Matt. I couldn't have said it better. I got book club on Friday. I got two hundred fifty pages to read. I'm screwed. Oh boy, I just wasn't into it, and I haven't read, and I now I got to read all week. Chat GPT. I have, I have to basically blow off everything in my life for the next three days. What's the book? Uh, it's uh, 100 Years of Solitude. It's Gabriel Mark. It's it's a classic. It's 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 it. it hold on. I have to. Sounds like it's going to take you 100 years to read. <laughs> 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. It's 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 a it's a classic. It's it's def, it's weird. I mean, I'm. I, I'm having a little bit of a challenge. It's not hard to read. It's hard to follow. They have a family lineage, a family tree, mm. and they all have similar names. And some of them are like, you know, have the same first name but a second name. <sighs> so it's just like, I, and they have a graphic of the family tree, but it still doesn't help me. So I get all confused, and I've kind of given up <laughs> on remembering <laughs> exactly who's who and who was married to whom and all this other stuff. And some of them had children out of wedlock, and some of them had uh, one woman had children with two different men. Whoa. So, like, following the tree is difficult. Um, it's a Mori episode. Uh, there is some Mori in it, by the way. There, <laughs> is, there is some. Yeah? Yes, but I, I, I'm not far enough in to, to I, I can't totally discuss it. All right, so listen. You know, I, I've been researching Sandra Day O'Connor because we're talking with Michael Coyne in a few minutes. And I just don't know if there's, like... You know, I've never, I, I didn't read a ton of stuff, you know, into the, the Tom Brokaw, Greatest Generation stuff. But, I mean, it's really true. Like, I feel like they don't make them like this anymore. I mean, she was, Sandra Day O'Connor, she was, uh, she was a Supreme Court justice for 25 years. And she, she grew up on a ranch that was like over 1,000 acres. She was like nine miles from the closest paved road. And she ends up on the Supreme Court. I just think that's amazing to me, you know, and it's just like 198,000 acre family ranch, right? And then somehow she ends up at Stanford at the age of 16. She enrolled at Stanford at 16 and then she graduated from Stanford Law School. I I don't even think she was 21 yet. And 
when she got out of law school, she couldn't get a job because she was a woman. And this is this, this young woman who went to Stanford at 16, graduated law school like 21, and she couldn't get a job. It's, it's, it's wild. Just, it's wild. And then she gets married and has has a couple of kids and was and then went uh, was asked to serve. Uh, she was in a, like an assistant uh, attorney general in Arizona. Was asked to go to the state senate. Then she won in the senate. Then she went on a, to be a judge. And then Reagan appointed her, and she was approved by the Senate, ninety nine to zero. And the the interesting thing is is that she's considered a moderate conservative, right? But the, the real pushback was from pro-life folks because she wasn't considered uh, strong enough against abortion to overturn Roe versus Wade. And so you go back now 40-something years and you see the, how crystallized the things were even mm. then about pushing back on it. And, and you know a lot of scholars will tell you that this overturning of Roe versus Wade last year you know, was a long-term effort. And the truth is it—, it it was a decade, multi-decades effort incrementally to get to that place. Now, wherever you are politically, that's really what it was. And, and there was a lot of strong pushback from the religious right on her appointment, but she still got through unanimously. And one of my questions to, to Michael would be like, you know, could someone like that be, make it through today? And the answer is probably no. I don't know. But the other thing that was interesting is that she went to Stanford with William Rehnquist, and according to the stuff I'm reading, you know, he ended up being, you know, um, chief justice. They dated for a stretch in 1950, and then something happened. Like he graduated, but then he proposed to her via letter, and she said no. <laughs> it's just kind of, I love these little anecdotes. I mean, she's just an amazing human being. I don't know. I just love reading about because I didn't know a bunch of this stuff. <laughs> It's like the original uh, text breakup. But mem- yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, wait for the letter to come back. It's like, nah. But that's how the world works. Well, you're not going to do it via phone, and they're all way yeah. across the country. But imagine if they were a couple. But if they were a couple, she probably never would have made the Supreme Court. I don't know. I mean, you know, the, yeah, the, the parallel tracks or, or, or what have you. And uh, and so for me, it's a, sort of a personal thrill to have been able to sit in on the court. Um, you know, I didn't know. I mean, I know my dad told me that she was the first female you know justice but i you know i wasn't necessarily focused on that when i was 12 years old or, or what have you so i'm looking forward to that conversation we'll take a quick break here i don't think that we've talked about this in a little while brian and matt the barbie movie will make its debut on the streaming service max on december 15th including an alternate version in american sign language max users will notice a separate version that displays the sign language symbol star margot robbie will join asl interpreter Layla Hanamai for a special screening in Los Angeles the day before it's to be released on Max. That's December 14th. That's cool. That's yeah, a nice feature. Matt's, I mean, you don't need that the, the sign version, but Matt, Matt's excited to watch it on HBO. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. I wonder what it's going to be. Is it going to be like Margot Robbie, like in a, in a corner bubble or something doing sign language? or? No, I don't know. I don't know what it'll look like. I, maybe, I thought she was maybe just doing that for the... F- for showing of it, or is that how it's going to be? I don't. I don't know. It's cool though. Mm. It's, it's smart and yeah. All right, thank you, Morgan. Broadcasting from the Johnson Brunetti Studios. This is Brian and Company on WTIC News Talk 1080. You know, I was talking about the life of Sandra Day O'Connor. Just amazing. You know, just growing up on a ranch, miles from a paved road. <laughs> 
to going to Stanford at 16 to ending up on the Supreme Court bench. It's just incredible. I want to touch base on this, maybe a couple other things, with Michael Coyne, Dean of the Massachusetts School of Law. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well today. How are you, Brian? I'm great. And I was, you know, I, I, I told the story. I'm sure you were sleeping, but, you know, my dad took me down to D.C. when I was 11 or 12, and, and, and he we sat in on an open session of the Supreme Court. They were hearing, like, a an illegal search and seizure case. So I saw O'Connor on the bench, actually, which was, you know, it was, it was a thrill. Obviously, I'm just curious, you know, when, when you think of Sandra Day O'Connor, you know, what, what comes to mind for you? What comes to mind to me is the uh, ultimately the diversity in the profession that uh, took a long while to get there. I mean, if you start to think about it, that it wasn't until the 1980s that we had the first woman on the Supreme Court, uh, it seems like a pretty slow change all in all. And now when we think about the legal profession, the fact is, is that while it's still pretty white, uh, it is much more diverse with respect to gender than it ever has been. And uh, obviously, that's a good thing when we have uh, a greater level of representation of our community uh, in the legal profession. And she did it with such grace and distinction. You know, we don't have uh, she didn't have um, the some of the baggage that we see the justices on the Supreme Court have now. So I think for the most part, people really uh, respected her, admired her, and especially, as you just pointed out, her really up from the bootstraps uh, rise to the highest court in the land is impressive. And it's a good story, not just for uh, young women who want to enter the legal profession, but all of us, that if you work hard enough, you can accomplish just about whatever you set out to. It was, you know, 75 years ago, she got out of law school. She couldn't get a job because she's a woman. (laughs) I mean, it's nuts. You know, and and that's not an uncommon story. If you go back, you know, my former senior partner in uh, Boston was a uh, woman, and she was one of the handful of women uh, at the Boston University Law School in the early 60s. And um, the early 60s was a very different time in the legal profession. If you were a minority, if you were Jewish, if you were a female trying to get a the job in one of the more established uh, big big uh, law firms was uh, virtually impossible. It was an enclave of very few. So we have seen changes. It just yeah. uh, you know to me it it shouldn't it shouldn't take sixty years to see the change. And we still have a lot more change when we start to talk about representation of our various communities in the legal profession. We haven't done a very good job. We have done a good job by gender, but we still have a long way to go. We're talking with Michael Coyne, dean of the Massachusetts School of Law. It's, you know, it's fascinating because she's considered sort of a moderate conservative, first woman on the bench, and you know there was a ton of pushback on her from the religious right about you know her stance. Potentially, they wanted her to overturn Roe v. Wade, and they didn't look at her as someone who would be constructive toward that end. But she still passed ninety nine zero in the Senate. You know, first woman was she? Is she like the last moderate? I mean, it, it's- <laughs> it sure it sure seems that these days, right? I mean, she really was a coalition builder. Um, the fact is, is that uh, yes, the uh, she supported uh, the Casey, the Planned Parenthood, the case before the most recent case that overturned uh, Roe versus Wade. She supported it at the time and was oftentimes. Um, the swing vote on on many of the votes, building consensus for um, narrow changes in the law. She tended to find uh, more uh, 
agreement than the disagreement that we see. Uh, and that's present in a lot of the Supreme Court decisions, even during her time. Uh, there were fights with Scalia, there were fights with others, uh, but she oftentimes seemed above some of that fray um, and in a, in a very quiet, um, respectful, professional manner was able to make her points and build agreement and ultimately um, be someone who was a real force on the court because she brought the two sides together more often than not. You know, you, you interact with your students and, you know, and I don't know to what degree the makeup of the court and the court cases factor into what you teach. But, you know, you have a situation where I feel like when I was younger, I knew zero about the lives of these justices. And there was this it seemed like this incredible separation between them and the rest of society. And now we maybe it's because the Internet, maybe it's because of social media. I don't know. But it seems like. We know a little bit more, and it's not necessarily pretty. I mean, what is <laughs> what are some of the yeah. ways? I mean, in, in say in the in the forty something years that since her being appointed, what what what's changed? Well, you, you bring up a good point. Were, were we better off when we knew little about? I feel like we were. Justice. I feel like ignorance was <laughs> <their> bliss. <laughs> well, that's a fair argument to make. Unfortunately, though. Uh, we are entitled to know more. We are entitled to know what their business interests are and their relationships. And I think, uh, and I do think social media has advanced this and the press has scrutinized it more carefully uh, in recent years, as they should. I mean, the fact is, is that they, they get to serve until they decide there is no mandatory retirement age. And they are incredibly influential, as we've seen in the more recent history, and have felt those effects. So the fact is, is that their backgrounds, their experience, who they may be beholden to is all fair game. Um, but there was a time where we didn't know all of that, and we felt more comfortable with it. And I also think that the court uh, felt more, much more comfortable with it. You know, I was at a seminar a number of years ago, and Chief Justice Roberts spoke. Uh, and, and he really inspired some level of confidence in the court because he talked about wanting the people to understand, as he saw his role, we're, we're the umpires. We call the balls and strikes. Uh, we don't play the game. And we really don't want to be known by the political affiliation because once we're appointed, uh, we are immune from that process, as he said it. Right. Um, and we really try to follow the law. And it's important that they follow precedent. I don't know whether we're veered from that in more recent history, but I think it's fair that the media and whether it's uh, social media or the traditional media really question whether we're on the right path and what their goals are and whether there should be a stronger code of ethics so that we have more trust. Because yeah. I do think that trust has eroded in recent years as we have pulled the curtain back and seen a little more of the workings of the court it's, as well. It's crazy to me how that lack of trust has crept in so much with the court. I just felt it was sacrosanct and it's not. Um, I, I know. It's really stunning. Disappointing. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know if it's just the natural order of things or how the democracy of this country evolves. I, I don't really know, but it is, it is troubling and disappointing. And Robert seems like, I always say to my wife, I shouldn't say this. I mean, Robert, John Roberts is the guy who can save the country. I think, I mean, he, He's, he's sort of, I feel like he has that potential. I agree with that, actually, and I've said that before as well. There's, uh, he is, he's a man of extraordinary intelligence and compassion, I believe. There's a, uh, people can look up there. He gave a speech at his son's graduation in New Hampshire uh, from high school, and it really is. He's very down-to-earth, 
Uh, he's very concerned about the history of the court and its reputation. And I think this more the, the, the events of the last couple of years are likely very, very troubling to him. He would never speak of, in that regard of it. But but he is a he is very much concerned with the reputation of the court. And it's and it, it would be very disappointed that you and I are talking about the Supreme Court not being held in the same respect as it as it was for many, many years because of some of the conflicts and concerns um, and the, the lack of transparency that I think most people would want to see right. um, that that and, and it should and have the right to see. Uh, that that he can at some point, but the but the problem is he's he is no longer the the swing vote on the court. Right. Uh, in many cases, he's not controlling the majority block, and so you only have so much power uh, if you're not one of the the five votes that's needed to right. successfully carry the day. We got to run, Michael. Oh, as always, man, great conversation. Really appreciate it. Hope you have a great day. Thanks, Brian. You too. Uh, Michael Coyne, Dean of the Massachusetts School of Law. Federal. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Funding has helped get a number of new businesses up and running in Hartford, Brian and Matt. Advocates gathered Monday at one of them, Emery's Sweets and Soda on Trumbull Street. Owner Melissa Melanson offers customers a variety of sweet treats from milkshakes to ice cream sodas to egg creams. The endeavor is partially funded by the Heartlift program, which in turn received $7 million from the American Rescue Plan. Hartford Mayor Luke Bronin. Give new small businesses and entrepreneurs the opportunity to open brick and mortar and expand their businesses and create jobs in our community. And that we'd have the opportunity to activate long, vacant uh, retail stores to help uh, accelerate the, the energy and the momentum and the vibrancy uh, of our community. He says over 60 businesses will benefit from up to $150,000 in grant funding, thus turning vacant storefronts into new thriving enterprises. Yeah, we have Melanson on in 12 minutes. Cool. Uh, I went down there and walked around Pratt & Trumbull on Friday after the Salvation Army kickoff. There's some, I mean, there's a restaurant in particular, Morgan, that you're going to want to check out. This couple, they're they're doing the demo. They're supposed to be open in a, two months or so. What's and, it called? Oh, I forget what it's going to be called. Well, hold on, I can, I think I can find that for you. It it's going to be awesome. I mean, it's really a cool space. And what they're trying to do, they'll even have like a fireplace, and in the back a game room, so you can have a drink and play some backgammon or chess with somebody. Oh, okay. Uh, it's just it's a really cool setup. Got to get my scotch on the rocks. Exactly. Yeah, and it's um. I think it's gonna. I think it might be called Hartford Cocktail Bar. I'm not sure, uh, but I went to Urban Lodge. I went to Bloom Bake Shop. I went to the Gentle Bull. Uh, there's a Puerto Rican food place, El, El Gallo y El Coqui, uh, and, and I went to Emory's Specialty Treats and Soda. So um, it's. A, it, I, I just hope that all, they all do great because they're all taking a lot of personal risk to open these businesses despite getting that funding. Thank you. Let's go to Mark Christopher in the Brown Pandora Scott Traffic Center. Hey, Mark. Posted 
He was just at, uh, is it Adriatic Restaurant? I believe it's on uh, Franklin Avenue in Hartford. Some pretty amazing looking food there. Who went there? You Big did? Boys. Oh, he did? Oh, are you, are you looking at his pictures? Yeah, I'm looking at his uh, Facebook post. Man, that guy, tell you what, Big it's Boys, around. he eats some incredible food, man. He doesn't mess around. I just talked about with Morgan uh, just a few minutes ago about walking in Trumbull Street and Pratt Street the other day and, and popping into some of the businesses. And, and one of the cool spots, I can't wait to take my kids there too, is Emery's Specialty Sweets and Sodas. It's just right around the corner from uh, from Pratt. And, you know, I got to meet uh, the owner, Melissa Melanson, and her husband, and uh, we thought we'd be good. I think it opens up, like, they did a soft opening over the weekend, and I think tomorrow it's, it's like, for real. So we welcome in Melissa this morning on Brian & Company. Good morning. How are you? Hey, Brian. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for taking the time. So, so you did, like, a little soft lunch on Saturday, and tomorrow it's open for real. Is that right? Yeah, Saturday was amazing. We were open for the day on Saturday, and it was so fun just seeing people actually come into the space finally and enjoy it. It was great. You know, I, I don't know if I said this to you when when we met the other day on Friday, but I don't have an entrepreneurial bone in my body. So, I, and I, you and your <laughs> and your husband, you're doing a lot of the work yourself in terms of like the Reno and all that other stuff. I mean, what was I mean, how does it feel taking this risk and doing what you're doing? Before we get into the nuts and bolts of the store, which I can't wait to talk about, but, you know, like yeah. on a personal standpoint, I mean, how, how does it feel to, to take this step? Yeah, it's been, it's been awesome. I mean, it's definitely been a journey. This has been over a year in the making, and, you know, it was definitely a family endeavor. We have two daughters, Emmy and Aubrey, and the shop is actually named after them, a combination of their names. Um, so it's been really, really fun for them to see us take, you know, this empty concrete box and turn it into what you see there today. They've got to see the entire journey, which I think has been phenomenal for them to be able to see, you know, taking something, making nothing out of something over time, um, and the reward that you get from that. So that's been that's been very cool. But we have had a lot of help. I do have a GC and contractors that helped us. Me and my husband are not that handy. <laughs> well, it looked like he was doing some solid work. So I, I, yes, yes. <laughs> but I'm sure you had tons of help. Yeah, we're talking with Melissa Melanson. And again, it's Emory's Specialty Sweets and Sodas right on Trumbull, like across yeah. from the XL Center. Just tell people what, what, what happens tomorrow at 11. You know, what can you get there? What do you do? What's your MO? Yeah. So we're kind of like an old school soda fountain shop. We took that idea and kind of put a modern twist on it. Um, And we wanted everyone of all ages to be able to come in and experience this nostalgic kind of um, atmosphere. So everything from the music to the glassware to the treats and the candies themselves, we've hand selected and handmade to really bring that ambiance to life of a, a real deal, you know, soda shop, soda fountain. So you can definitely get all of the traditional um, house-made sodas that we make. We make all of our house syrups in-house. We also have the Hosmer Mountain sodas from Manchester. You know, we love working with local people. We also have coffee and espresso drinks that we will be serving. Um, But hot chocolates, different flavored hot chocolates. We have fraps um, and soda floats, What's what's your favorite thing on the menu? What's your favorite? I have always been a root beer float kind of girl ever since I was little. 
And that's definitely my daughter Aubrey's favorite, too. So we, we drink a lot of those. Yeah, I was in the car with my daughter. She's 17, telling her about the store. And I, you know, I always think of like the soda jerk or whatever, the, the, the drugstore yeah. where they had the countertops and stuff like that. And, and she, she had uh-huh. a hard time grasping that that was the way the world worked um, back when my, par- yeah. my parents were growing up. Uh, we're talking with Melissa Melanson uh, from, you know, Emery's uh, uh, Treats and Sodas. I wanted to ask you, you know, the Heartlift program, yeah. you know, is, is pretty amazing. And I, you know, I was really, and I mean this sincerely, really blown away, not only by the businesses that are coming online that are already online, but the people behind them. And, but how do you feel confident, you know, in this, this concept of if, if we build it, they will come? Like, what gives you the confidence that this is going to work? I think um, the sense of community the amount of support that our small community in the city of Hartford gives to each other, the people that I knew were going in on the Pratt street area, you know, like you said, there's some really interesting um, young energetic entrepreneurs that are coming onto Pratt street with some very cool concepts. And I kind of, uh, you know, I've worked in the city of Hartford for a while. I know a lot of these people. And when we all started talking and brainstorming on the ideas and the the businesses that we were bringing to downtown. I mean, I knew right away, like, this is what Hartford needs. um, And we are, we're going to make this happen. And this is going to be great. Um, Also, there's a lot of apartments coming online in downtown Hartford right now. Those people need places to go. They need places to go hang out, have fun, go to eat, go have a drink. Um, all of these things kind of coming together all at once, I know it's going to be successful over the next couple of years. And, and honestly, even over the last uh, few months here, with Urban Lodge Brewery opening up and, and some of the others, the increase in foot traffic that I've seen in downtown uh, has been amazing. So yeah, and, I have every confidence in the world. Yeah, and for me, it's like I'm just excited to have an alternatives, you know, and you know, I live in, yeah. Windsor, in Windsor, and it's such an easy hop to get down there. Uh, Melissa Melanson uh, joining us now, and of course, the business opens officially tomorrow. Emory Specialty Sweets and Sodas on Trumbull Street, right, you know, right across from the XL Center, and right next to Pratt Street. Uh, give us the hours and the days, and 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 when people can go yeah. check it out. We're going to be open Wednesday through Sunday from 11 to 8 p.m. So definitely come on by, whether you know you work downtown or you're going to a game and need somewhere to go beforehand or alternative date night, whatever the occasion is, it's a fun, unique stop on your way through downtown Hartford. Now, I can't get there tomorrow with my daughter, but I will definitely be there, if not this weekend, uh, midweek next week. Uh, I'm excited. She's already sold on it. So awesome. oh, good luck tomorrow, <laughs> and I, I hope uh, I hope it's awesome. Thanks, Brian. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. All right, Melissa Melanson. And again, the company, it's right on, on Trumbull Street. Uh, they did a soft launch over the weekend. It's Emery Specialty Sweets and Sodas. And they have a website, too. You can check it out. And it's just like from the marshmallows to the little specialty gifts. I mean, it's not its not an inexpensive milkshake, but they looked amazing. I hadn't had lunch yet, so I, they were going to whip something up for me, but I just didn't. I, I couldn't I couldn't do it uh, at, at that time. And, and that area, you know, for me, I'm not going to call out restaurants because I, li- I like them. And, but I, I am sort of like when I go down and whether it's a game at the XL or it's a show at the Bushnell or, or whatever, even if you want to take the walk from the convention center, we did that. My wife and I did that. We walked all the way um, from the Van Gogh exhibit up to Trumbull Kitchen. 
I'm I'm ready for some alternatives and do and, you know try some other things. And there's there's a couple other things. This one's coming online. There's a there's a restaurant coming online. It's awesome. There's a Puerto Rican restaurant that's coming online. All this in the next couple of months. And the liquor store down there, by the way, they have incredible craft beers and and wines in that store. And the Urban Lodge, they even have an event space upstairs. I mean, so if you're going to do a holiday party or something, it's perfect. And the beer was so good. I, I mean, honestly, and I. I, I'm a I'm sort of IPA'd out, but I, I bought a sour there. It was really good. And the owner, uh, I think it was Mike Garrity is his name, one of the co-owners, got a great story. It started in Manchester. He did it, He started with his brother-in-law. They both married sisters, and they've been talking about it for years, and they finally decided, you know what, let's put our money where our mouth is. And they opened up Urban Lodge Brewing, and now they're expanding in Hartford, and the place is sweet. And it's one of those things where I just saw a bunch of people in there like getting their lunch you know, watching TVs and having a burger. It just looked looked great. Uh, let's go over to Bob Cox real quick before Morgan has your headlines. Hey, Bob. Brian, whenever you talk about an expensive milkshake, it always makes me think of that scene from Pulp Fiction when uh, John Travolta asked Duma Thurman about her $5 shake. Yeah, $5 now is <laughs> cheap, by the way. Yes. Well, that, that was back in the 90s. I know. It's funny. <laughs> Many Americans often buy sushi as a healthy bite, but as correspondent Lucy Kraft reports from Tokyo, a new study finds the unsung hero is not the fish. Rather, it's the spicy condiment wasabi. In the Tohoku University study, healthy senior citizens were given a daily dose of wasabi extract. After just three months, their episodic memory scores jumped by an average of 18 percent, far better than subjects on a placebo. The study said freshly grated wasabi reduces inflammation and oxidant levels in the brain area responsible for memory. The study was published in the journal Nutrients. Lucy Kraft, CBS News, Tokyo. I'm not wild about sushi i love sushi but i don't touch the wasabi no i like the ginger but i never touch the wasabi so i guess a little bit of wasabi is nice you do like that yeah it's too, it's the few too... times i've done sushi i've had to mix it up How do you the ginger it? can be too much but also the wasabi is too much for me yeah see i don't touch the wasabi and i'll, mm. I'll just eat the ginger on its own most of the time just it's almost like a sometimes they give you like a, too much wasabi they just like slice a little bit off you put it in the soy sauce yeah that's what my wife will do put a mix tiny it bit. around yeah. yeah yeah that's what a lot of people i just wanted to point out i was you know i had this long three and a half hour each way ride with my daughter the other day, and somehow we got on to personal finance. She was asking me about what a 401k was, what an IRA was, all these different things. And and we went over it the best I could do to explain it. And she just turned to me and she said, well, why, why the heck don't they teach us this in school? And I said, that's a really good question. And it turns out, so there's this um, organization that sort of rates the states in terms of financial literacy and it'll change for Connecticut. Connecticut's doing better, but still um, getting a failing grade because it doesn't require a certain level of financial literacy to graduate high school. But there was something passed in the legislature last year that's going to change that starting in 2027. But the it's the Center for Financial Literacy uh, at Champlain College in Burlington, Vermont, and they awarded Fs to Connecticut, California, Massachusetts, South Dakota, and Washington, D.C., because those states uh, don't require personal finance instruction for students to graduate from high school. And I, I'm, I'm just saying that there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that it should be required. I mean, especially in this era where very few people are going to have pensions and you're going to need to think ahead 
especially we have no idea what Social Security has in store for us. Broadcasting from the Johnson Brunetti Studios, this is Brian and Company on WTIC News Talk 1080. So the headline is Judge Grants $5 million Prejudgment Remedy in Stone Academy Lawsuit. Um, again, it's not anything definitive. It's part of a class action lawsuit, and I had some questions, and I'm really grateful that Attorney General William Tong uh, able to jump on the line here real quick. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Attorney General. Good morning. Good morning, Brian. So this has nothing to do with your case. Can you just explain the dynamic here? So there are two cases. Well, it has everything to do with our case, but but the, there's two cases. There's a there's a private party class action case by students. Um, and they're represented by their by their lawyers. And then there's our case, which is going to resume uh, on December 21st. Um, the cases are different because my case is the state's case, and um, it's a law enforcement case. But of course, there are common elements, and and this is a big deal, and that, and that's a very strong sign about how the judge feels about. Stone and beer bomb and their lies. Now, now, are there potential monetary damages in your case too that could trickle down to the students? Yes, and we're seeking a prejudgment remedy too. So, what this is is an early stage decision by the judge, and basically, what she had to find was that um, that Stone and and beer bomb and the owners of Stone engaged in very very serious misconduct, and because of that she felt it necessary to attach um, $5 million of their assets, basically take $5 million of, of their assets and the school's assets and, and hold them right. um, because it's likely we're going to win. It's likely the plaintiffs are going to win the private party case. So, you know, my, my thing is, say there's a thousand, they say there might be more, but say there's a thousand and they get a $5 million judgment, you know, listen, let's be honest, lawyers have to make a living too. They get whatever it's 30 to 40%, I don't know. If you they got all the money, it'd be 5,000 each, which I don't even know if it could make some of them whole. So, right. you know, in your judgment, how, how does it work in terms of getting them the actual funds to make them whole, which to me is what is, should be the ultimate goal? So so I, I don't know that level of detail about the other case, the, the private party case, the, the student's case, except to say that not everybody is in the same position. Right. Right. At different students were at different phases of their education, and um, some of them had just started, for example. Some of them um, had almost finished. And so people are at different stages. And so when you talk about um, what they're looking for in that case, again, that's not my case. Um, you know, let's just be, let's be candid also yes. that, that there's not enough money, right, right. In, in the world to make it right for all of these students. I mean, their lives have been permanently impacted by, by Stone's misconduct. You know, the best that, that the plaintiffs can do in the private party case, and then the best we can do in the state's case is do everything we can to help them and, and to try to get them on a track where they can, you know, get their plans back together and, and either move on with their lives or pursue their dreams of being nurses. But, you know, there, there's, there's no world, I don't think, in which everybody is back to where they were. So let me ask you this uh, before we let you go, and we're so grateful for Attorney yeah. General William Tonk's time. What's, what's next then? So what's next is they'll continue their case. This is a big win for them. Let's just be clear. 
when you when you win a PJR this early, it is a very good sign for you in your case, right? And and what the judge says is, I, I don't believe Stone. I don't believe the guy who ran it and one of the owners beer bomb. And and importantly, um, she knows and recognizes that Stone unilaterally shut the school down. Okay, it's it's on them. And so that's that's obviously a good sign for their case. It's a good sign for our case because we're going to go through the same thing. We're asking for a prejudgment remedy. We're going through that on December 21st. So the state's case is in a strong position and, and we'll see what happens. I think we're going to, we're going to keep pushing and we're going to try this case um, and, and try to do everything we can to help these students. All right, listen, uh, good stuff. Anything else going on in the office that you want us to know about? I mean, it's, well, (laughs) There's so much going on in the office. Obviously, we haven't talked about uh, our social media case and the fact that I sued Meta, Instagram, Facebook. I got my case against Amazon. There's a ton going on. Yeah, the social media stuff. I mean, I'm I'm completely disturbed. I have three teenagers and I have my own habits. Yeah, and it's just maybe this is one where I should come in the studio. We should chat. Yeah, about let's it. do it. Uh, let's set it up. Right. Joey will set up. Have a great day, sir. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Uh, William Tong, Attorney General, uh, chiming in on the Stone Academy case. Yeah, I mean, he, I think what he said is, is in terms of, like, there's no amount of money that's going to f- totally fix things because some people's lives have been permanently affected. That doesn't mean their lives have been ruined. It just means that there's there's been a, a massive impact here. And I think moving forward, we'll see. And, you know, I, I think the two cases – you know, it'll be interesting to see how they, they progress in tandem. I'm just trying to read some text, getting some some texts from folks folks in the field chiming in here. Uh, listen, coming up, uh, we, we'll have, uh, we're going to talk with Haley Allaire in the next hour, and Chris Keating will join us. You know, after the dynamic with, with the no mandate uh, to stop selling new gas-powered vehicles by 2035, what's next? And what's going on with electric vehicles? Uh, we'll talk about that at 8.50. Uh, let's take a quick break here at 7.58. Hotels, Brian and Matt, are getting into the holiday spirit. Many are decking out extra special suites to immerse guests in holiday cheer. Correspondent Wendy Gillette toured several and has more on these lavish digs. Flip a switch to turn on the magic of Christmas inside this suite at the Hilton New York Times Square, surrounded by walls adorned with peppermints and jars full of all-you-can-eat candy, washed down with liquid treats from a hot cocoa bar. What's on TV is equally sweet after a spin at Christmas karaoke. Holiday love stories on the Hallmark Channel. Some of these lavish holiday suites are available, believe it or not, year-round. That's too much. (laughs) I mean, if if as um, Matt said earlier with the the cameos from George Santos, like oh yeah, if you get the money to do that stuff, you could probably do something better with it. But hey, it's a good talker. Uh, thank you, Morgan. Let's go to Mark Christopher in the Brown Pandirus and Scott Traffic Center. I bought a bunch of stocking stuffers. I had to hide them in the basement. We're ready to roll. I'm gonna, yeah, baby. I'm, 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 I, I, it's it snuck up on me. I need to get in. We need to, like, I hate to say it, for your job and for Bob's and for my... Snow? We need a little something-something, yeah. Something, 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 something. Okay. All right. Maybe just two to three that melts during the day. Oh, all right. I can, yeah, I can handle that. I can definitely handle that. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. I'm telling you. We should go, we should talk to sales. 
and we should talk to the uh, the Metro Hartford Alliance and get some gift cards from some of these places and 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 do a little combo. You know, I because I bet I bet Urban Lodge and some of the other places were totally great on idea. board. And because and once you go there, you will go there again. It's a great idea. So, do like five different ones. Yeah. So like a Monday, you win like. Urban Lodge, and then there's yeah. a couple other restaurants. There's Vaughn's, and then or maybe you get a gift card to the liquor store. Two of the restaurants that I'm really excited about haven't opened yet, but even still, I think they would love to give us like twenty five or fifty bucks totally to do that. Why so, not? So I'll talk to David Briggs and see if I can I can swing that because I think it's just a great idea. If you really you get time for all of us to put our money where our mouth is. But anyway, I want to get a root beer float nine. from that spot. I'm going. My daughter, my daughter is a, a, a sugar. A holic, <laughs> so I mean she is. You know what's better than root beer float is Dr Pepper like float. See, I can't figure it's out so what good. I I I do like the root beer float for me is like I want you to order it and give me a little bit like mm. a whole one. I'm not so yeah. sure about. I just love like, you know I don't oh, like too much chocolate, and I think that the black and white is one of the best things yeah. ever invented because it gives you a little touch without overwhelming you, mm. right? And I just think that to me like. That and the chocolate chip milkshake, because then you have all the chocolate on the oh. bottom. It's phenomenal. Phenomenal. Man, the 40s. I miss the 40s. For me, it's the 50s. <laughs> and then it's going to be the 60s. And uh, I, I have uh, been hesitant to grow up in certain elements of my life, but I need. I think about this stuff more and more. Uh, we want to welcome in Haley Allaire from Allaire Elder Law to talk about a bunch of stuff. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Um, it's good to see you and, and, and your, your posse. You got a crew. We do. We're growing. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's pretty big. Um, you know, first, you know, before we get into some of the Medicaid stuff and and other things, you know, Alaire Elder Law, just sort of because we have listener turnover, and you know, if you're on every couple months, you know, it's always good to just reset, like what it is that your firm does. Yes, Alaire does care. So we, what sets us apart is that we try to make sure we take care of the big picture, not just having tools like a power of attorney or a last will or a trust but knowing how to use them and how to use them effectively. So we actually have elder care coordinators on our staff that will go to the home, go to the facility, go to the person in need and help them understand what is this that you're going through? What is the road ahead possibly going to look like? And how do we adjust along the way to keep you safe, keep you home as long as possible, and make sure you have your options and choices met? So two quick questions there. One is, I feel like I, I'm behind the curve at 52. I have like a living will, but it was before like my third child was born. Like, when do you think people should start having these conversations? Sure. Look, it never hurts to start early, um, but early in my world could be by about 65 years old. Okay. Um, so it's not a big deal. And obviously documents could be quite old. Um, living wills, we frequently see them a decade old or more. So not to worry. Um, it's good to start around 65 because that's generally when your life starts to get a little bit More less com- hectic. complicated, too. <laughs> yes. um, so you start to dig in because that's when you want to make sure you have documents in place so that if something unexpected happens, hopefully not for decades, you're ready. Right. And, you know, when it comes to staying in the home post-pandemic, I'm curious – are more people trying to stay in the home? Like my parents are in their 80s and there's not even a debate. Like mm-hmm. they're going to, they'll retrofit the house to hurt its value just to make sure they can stay there as long as they can. And I'm curious if you've seen, is that a pattern or has it always been that way? It's always been that way. Okay. The home is the castle and people want to be there. And it's a good thing health wise. Um, it is the setting that you're familiar with. If you can safely age in place, 
as retrofitting can help with. Yeah. We're talking with Haley Allaire from Allaire Elder Law here on Brian and Company and WTIC News Talk 1080. All right, so Medicaid. When people get to be Medicaid eligible, what should they do and how do you help? Sure. So I like to tell people that I can't control whether you physically meet the test. That's the thing to look for. I can control whether you financially meet the test. So please do not spend down until you're ready and then come talk to me. What does that mean? Layperson, I have no idea. Everyone thinks you have to be impoverished in order to go on Medicaid. And they're not wrong. But there are a few ways to become impoverished without actually spending the money. Spend down is the word for what you're doing. So you spend to get yourself in a position to be eligible. Maybe. Spending is only one of the many options you have. There's spending, there's transferring, but there are consequences when gifting, so you have to be careful about it. Um, There's pre-planning, getting things out of your name at least five years ahead of time, which is also a little misnomer. I can sometimes shorten that clock. Um, And then there's transfers between um, excluded parties. For example, you can give anything to your spouse at any time. There's also rules that include disabled children and caregiver children. So two questions here. One is, what's the difference, like what... What kind of care or what kind of advantages is is it to be on Medicaid? Sure. So a lot of people think it means you're getting put in out of your home. And actually, it's quite the opposite. Medicaid can pay for home care extensively in Connecticut. This program is different in every state. But in Connecticut, we actually fund home care, uh, again, extensively, up to roughly eight hours daily or a live-in caregiver or even an overnight shift if that's what you need instead. Huh. And, and my other question is, you know, there I, I don't know this, but I'm told there are services that, that help you do this. But what's the difference between what you you do and what those those big macro services do? Sure. Expediency, expertise, and asset protection. Um, other services are obviously capable of getting an application done, but they're not looking at how you're using the funding, and they're not looking at protecting assets along the way necessarily. Um, so a lot of what we do is make sure that the whole family, especially including the other spouse, is going to be set up for success. And we're talking with Haley Allaire from Allaire Elder Law here on Brian and Company and WTIC News Talk 1080. You know, I feel like it's a little intimidating to, I think, hire a law firm or, you know, to go to someone for something like this. And you're worried it's going to be too expensive and all these other things. Like, how does the the fee structure and all that work? Yes. So... My type of law, I don't like to discourage questions because if I don't know how you're doing, quite literally, when I ask how you're doing, it's a problem. So we charge flat rates. Um, There is usually a consult fee, but that's credited towards it. It's just to make sure that fair is fair on both sides. How is business? I mean, people are living longer, right? And Connecticut has a pretty uh, healthy population. I don't know how healthy it is, but a a, a, a fair amount of people in that age bracket. I mean, is it is it busier? I'm comparing. I haven't talked to you in a while, so is it back to pre-pandemic? Is it more? Is it where it's is it? It's definitely more. And part of that Why is, is that? we're getting into the generation where there's just more people. Um, but unfortunately, another part of it is that people are starting to need care sooner. Um, we are seeing really? more and more people on the lower end of 65, even some in their 60s. I would assume it would be that. the opposite because we're supposed to be healthier and all this other stuff. I, I wish that were true. And really? it's not completely false, but unfortunately, just more and more we're seeing it. Yeah. And there actually is a bit of an issue if you're under 65 and need this care. There's typically a two-year wait list to get it. Hmm. I you know, I have this whole debate because my, my parents are in their 80s that we've been – 
good at extending life, but not necessarily extending quality of life. And I think that's sort of the challenge of the next generation, maybe. But we'll talk with Haley Allaire from Allaire Elder Law. And where, where can they go if they want to, you know, obviously get some consultation here? Is there a what's your website? Absolutely. So it's AllaireElderLaw.com. Um, you can also reach us by phone, 860-259-1500, um, and we have an email on the site as well. You can Google it, yeah. Uh, listen, I want to ask you about AI. I'm sort of semi-obsessed. I'm completely overwhelmed and intimidated, and I know that a lot of it's good, a lot of it's not good, and some of our sci-fi fears, maybe they will come to bear. But how, how is it impacting your industry? Like, I feel like we talked off mic about paralegals. I feel like AI should eliminate the paralegal like field. Sure. I, I can completely understand the perspective. Um, I don't see that in my particular field. There is a lot like go, combing through financial records that possibly could be steered that way. But putting the puzzle together of how to protect assets, the timing of it, which can matter depending on if you're buying an annuity or what have you, it's a human-centric thing, especially the care component of it. You know, going to the home and seeing how a person walks and seeing if there's moldy food in the fridge, these things can't be replicated. So you, you're saying that there'll be pockets where it will help, but it'll never be something that's like a dominant force in, in what you do. Absolutely. Right. It's great to see you. Uh, great stuff as always. Haley Allaire from Allaire Elder Law joining us here on Brian and Company. Do we miss anything? No, thank you so much okay. for having me. No, it's always good to see you and, and the crew. I mean, there is, I mean, I'm just kidding. Seeing some good old friends. Um, listen, thanks, Haley. We appreciate it. Hollywood star Brian and Matt is talking about some tough times. Correspondent Deborah Rodriguez has an update for us. Actor Jamie Foxx has made his first public appearance since an undisclosed medical emergency last April. I've been through some things. You know, it's crazy. I couldn't do that six months ago. I couldn't actually walk to. He welled up with emotion as he accepted the Vanguard Award from the Critics' Choice Association's Celebration of Cinema and Television in L.A. But it didn't take long for his comedic chops to resurface. I'm not a clone. I'm not a clone. Fox thanked the team behind his new movie, The Burial. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, how y'all doing? And acknowledged friends in the audience, including Lenny Kravitz and Taraji P. Henson. Deborah Rodriguez, CBS News. I still want to know what happened. Mm-hmm. I wonder, I wonder if, if it'll ever come out. I wonder. I, I wonder. Some said he had a stroke. Like, I mean, there's all these different theories about what happened, but it's strange to me that it's so cryptic. I mean, yeah. you, usually you find stuff out, even with Hollywood, right? Happy he's doing okay, and I, I guess he's is he still playing Mike Tyson in the in the biopic? I don't know. Out? I don't know. They were filming. He was filming yeah. something with Cameron Diaz too when he got ill. I don't know if they ever finished that movie because she came out of retirement to do that movie. I like him. I mean, I go back to any. I mean, I know in Living Color was he, he wasn't in Living Color. Was he in Living Color? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, is he that old? But I loved it any given Sunday, man. I loved that movie. It's a great movie. Oh, so good. Thanks, Morgan. Let's go to Mark Christopher. He does a great in the Brown Van and Scott Travis said it. Trump impression, by the way. Does if, he really? If you've never heard it. It's fantastic. Really? Yeah. Well, he's a great comedian too, yeah. by the way. He. That's the thing about Jamie Foxx. He can act. Everything. He can sing. He's funny. And he, I'm I mean, honestly waiting for him to do a Broadway show, and I'm not joking. The guy could do anything. Do yeah, just like Mark. It's true. <laughs> I don't know about that. Mark can sing. He can dance. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You give me a, a couple of drinks and uh, you'll get a lot out of me. That's for sure. Yeah, uh, Mark's more lounge lizard than Yes. Th- didn't you yes. sing at the uh, Christmas party I last did last year. year. Yeah. yeah. I, I, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know why I was singing, but um, I'm going to try to kind of restrain myself this year.
I'm going to try to bring it down a couple of notches <laughs> this year. Uh, let's bring in Chris Keating from the Hartford Current to talk a little bit more about this, though. Uh, Chris, good morning. How are you? Hey, how's it going? How's things? <laughs> things are good. Things are good. Uh, I appreciate that. I like the energy here uh, on this Tuesday there morning. There you go. So, you know, I mean, this is one of those things where it's amazing how things can change. We hear these stories now that uh, the used market for Tesla's at its lowest ever. The new ones are on the lot. The car companies are pulling back investment. Uh, we're not mandating it here, at least as of yet, in Connecticut for 2035 to ban the sale of new gas-powered vehicles. I mean, it seems like, I mean, this could be just a bump in the road and in, in the progression, but it seems like there's a... The electric vehicle story is not some steamroller that's going to take over the world. And so with this 2035 mandate off the table for now, like where are we in Connecticut? Where, where are we on this story? Well, I think I think it's still going in that direction. I think there's certain forces that cannot stop it, but it depends like how fast it will be speeded up. In other words, one thing for your listeners to remember, I mean, everybody's talking electric cars and this guy's got one, that guy's got one, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, in, in, in round numbers, there's like 3 million cars and trucks in Connecticut, and only 36,000 are electric. So that's 1%. So it's, Is that 1%? Yeah, it's a tiny, 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 tiny percentage. Interesting. So it's still a small market here, and I don't know what the national average is, but it can't be more. I mean, I, I can't imagine it is. Cause, but I almost feel like, Chris, I'm just curious, and I, I think about market forces, right? And I think about, so this slowdown with stuff hanging on a lot more, the used cars are a little more prevalent. Maybe the natural, that, that'll naturally bring down the price, which will make it more accessible to more people, because that's part of the problem here. Yeah, and they, uh, right, and the whole thing with the charging stations and all that, I mean, it's still new. So unless, unless you're totally into it, and believe me, there are a, bun, a whole bunch of people who are totally into it. But the average person out there, um, you know, until these things are more readily available, uh, it, it won't expand. It's kind of like uh, cell phones in the real old days. Not everybody had one. And now it's totally saturated. Everybody's got one. Um, you know, probably eventually will it be like that with electric cars? Yeah, but we're not there yet. You know, before I get into the next legislative session, we're talking with Chris Keating from the Hartford Current. Just if you want to read his piece on it. You go to current.com and it says Connecticut has an electric car problem. Here's what's driving delays, debate, and new economic inequality, which, of course, a lot of these vehicles are people can't afford them. And that's that's one of the key things here. You know, I, I was talking like I, I prefaced it in a, talking to my daughter about it. And, and, and I've had a lot of people say, you know, hybrids maybe are more compelling than than electric vehicles. Do we know like do you is it can you assume that electric vehicles if broad adoption happened, would be better? Uh, you know, the, the advocates will tell you yes. Uh, it's a whole different animal of what we're not used to, basically. I mean, to my knowledge, you know, you wouldn't really have oil changes. It's a, it's a game changer. It's a different animal. Um, it's a different animal. And then, uh, you know, how common will it be that you're juicing the thing up at your house? in your garage, if you have one, uh, how common will that be? And so therefore you don't have to get online at town hall or wherever the heck you're getting it. So how common will that be a, a home charger? I think in the more affluent areas, the answer is a big yes. Yeah. Uh, we're talking with Chris Keating from the Hartford Current. So what's going to happen? So the, the governor's plan to sort of follow the New York I mean, the California mandate, it didn't happen in this committee. And I think that even if you're a pro-EV, it, it makes some sense in, in, in that 
14 people deciding the future of this issue may not be the right approach. So now it goes into the legislative session. What are they going to come up with in terms of a bill? I, I think they're going to study this thing like crazy. I mean, the Transportation Committee will look at it from one angle. The Environment Committee will look at it from another angle. Uh, just just having done this a long time since Lowell Weicker, uh, I, I would bet you that everybody will want to get their hands on it, and uh, they will put together a rather gigantic bill, multi, multi, multi pages, and, and they won't do it until near the end of the legislative session. Everybody's going to want input. Everyone's going to say, "Wait, wait a minute! I didn't, I didn't get to go to the public hearing. Hold on, hold on! You're missing this angle of it, that angle of it." Um, and also, just as you know, it's a very short session this year. It's over right. in May, right. so it's a short session. Um, other issues will come up. They will distract people. The state budget will be unveiled, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So people are going to get distracted by stuff. Um, but on this, I, you know, obviously, do I think they're going to do something? Yes. Well, it's good, uh, but my, are they going to do I, it overnight? Well, no. I'm curious if, like, say, for instance, you know, would would Lamont push Democrats? And I, it seems like Democrats have their own minds and they're a little bit independent. Like, Lamont can't just snap his fingers and get what he wants. But, you know, might they try to pass the exact same thing except just, you know, have the Democrats force it through? Yeah, it's possible or like an offshoot, an offshoot of it. Um, you know, there's there, there are two standards, the so-called California standard. And then there's, uh, you know, the federal standard that 32 states are doing. So it's not like, you know, the, 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 the California standard is the more stringent standard, more difficult, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But there's 32 states in the other batch. So um, uh, that's what I mean when I say, like, you know, this is basically going to happen. We're going in that direction. It's just a matter of how quickly. Now, is I thought the infrastructure side of it, I don't know about the grid, but from a charging standpoint, I thought a lot of that was going to get taken care of with the infrastructure bill. Is that not true? Uh, a big, big chunk, yes, a big chunk, but will that be enough? In other words, you know, and as we have more of these things, I'm I'm sure uh, you've seen them, you know, somebody plugging in at town hall and things in there for three or four hours and they're hogging up the thing. Right. Um, <laughs> or, 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 or it's at the state capitol or something. They have these things, it's called the level three charger, which are much... Uh, much faster, but they're way more expensive. That's mm. what they need. The level three charges, in other words, you charge up in 15, 20 minutes. Anything in the piece that we didn't touch on that you want people to know about? No, it's, uh, there's a lot of interest in this. I can tell you that. Uh, again, there's, there's some people who are totally into it. Uh, the real advocates will tell you that, uh, you know, some of the cars aren't that expensive. I mean, obviously, you know, can you get a Tesla for like 75 grand? Yeah, I guess so. Um, but some of these others, you know, Chevy Volt and this and that, you can get them for a lot less. Um, so, uh, right now I don't want to say it's, uh, you know, <laughs> it's an anomaly, but, um, the, the people who are into it, you know, they already have one. Uh, but the average person out there, no, the average person out there is, is really not involved in this. Yeah. Yeah. 1%. It's kind of a stunning number. I thought it'd be higher. You drive on West Hartford, it seems like. Thirty percent, but um, you know, obviously, it, there's a lot of other pockets in the state. Yeah, I think I think it, I think it might be a number I heard. It might be ten percent of the new cars set uh, sell, uh, but out of the whole whole uh, mass of the cars out there, no, no. Hey, Chris, great stuff. We appreciate it. All right, thank you. Take care. All right, Chris Keating from the Hartford Current. Again, you can go to current.com.
And anyway, it's got a lot of good stats in there as well. And I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what kind of legislation they come up with. And the 32 states that follow the federal standards, I think it's a lot different than the California. So maybe there's sort of a compromise or a meet in the middle that doesn't commit so much to it. Uh, listen, have a great day. Weather-wise, might be the best of the week. So get outside and enjoy. Be safe, of course, as always. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.